0: Barry and Malcolm Jeeves in this group, it is still very highly uh, regarded and used widely. And they...
1: Welcome, everybody, to this afternoon session, uh, session 2E, Living as a Christian at the Workplace. And one thing, I might, one thing I might say about this session is this is going to be a little bit different from some of the other sessions and is uh, an experiment. I guess the excuse that I have is that I'm an experimental physicist, and so I'm always... Uh, <clears throat> looking for a a challenge that I hope might be then beneficial to uh, the audience here. So the way it's gonna be structured is kind of as follows, which is that I'm going to give some uh, introductory, well, not really introductory remarks, I'll be going through a presentation here where it's clear that I'm going to be able to describe in great detail everything having to do with the present topic, the challenges of being a Christian in the workplace. No, just kidding, because one of the things that we want to also try is that uh, in addition to myself and uh, my institutional infil- affiliation here, I'd like to also uh, introduce you to uh, Dr. Kamesh Sankaran, and he's a, uh, a professor of physics at, uh, at Whitworth, College, uh, uh, Whitworth College in Washington State. And so what I'm gonna try to do is, as the description in the uh, bulletin in the program indicates, to give some of my own personal reflections and thoughts from my own experiences, and then, if not as a counterpoint, at least then provide then the context for some remarks that then um, Kamesh can provide uh, from his perspective as a uh, as a physicist and a teacher at a at a Christian institution at, at woodworth university then we 'll have a time of uh, a question and answer, and then this is where something that uh, is really the part of the experiment here. I was going to take a break, and we're going to try to, and I hope the university doesn't mind this, do a little bit of a rearranging of the chairs, depending on how many people are around and want to stick around for, as it were, the second half of the discussion, where this is why we call this like the ASA cafe. Now, uh, some of you may have heard from the National Science Foundation and uh, other organizations trying these science cafes, where you throw out something uh, from somebody who... Actually has some expertise uh, in a particular area to think of a couple of interesting topics to, or questions to talk about, and kind of talks amongst themselves and depending on how many people are around, <clears throat> try to then use this as an interactive thing because the serious comment about this is that we all bring to bear our own experiences in this particular area, the challenges of the workplace so i 'm quite serious by stating the obvious that i don 't have all the answers but I hope that this might be a kind of an experimental session where we might be able to learn from each other and our experiences. And then if time permits, uh, before the dinner time, perhaps get together and then just share a few thoughts. So that's the format. It's the first time we've tried something like this, but I hope it's an opportunity for interaction, especially between some of our younger colleagues and some of our more mature ones, to then see how (coughs) we can interact and really learn from each other from the point of view of concerns and anxieties people might have, and, uh, shall we say, um, the assurance that, yes, all of us in our long lives have uh, you know, tripped and fall, but through the grace of God, we picked up our, ourselves and uh, continued on. So with that as an introduction, let me uh, begin with uh, my formal remarks, as it were. And so to give you a little bit of a context where I am, and also I admit, uh, <clears throat> to provide something that uh, is considered... Uh, good speaking style. I'll show you a little bit of introductory material that includes some pretty pictures of the laboratory where I work at the Plasma Physics Laboratory where we do fusion research. And then uh, go into the topics here. The requirements for success, the common challenges that we face regardless of the institutions we are in, common solutions and unique opportunities that who we are as scientists and engineers We're in our calling in these areas are then subsequently endowed, blessed, and equipped to do and to face. So first with the introduction, uh, don't worry, this is not going to be a, a detailed lesson of physics, but just to give you a sense of the scale of the, the equipment, the experiments I'm working on, we do fusion energy research at the Plasma Physics Laboratory at Princeton University, and I'd be glad over dinner to tell you more about it if you're interested. But this is to give you a scale of the experiment that we're doing. This is something called the National Spherical Tokamak Experiment or the Taurus Experiment. This is an experiment which is the largest device at Princeton where we're looking into nuclear fusion as a potential energy source. And if you can uh, see uh, down in the lower left-hand corner, Uh, there is a man in the corner, and that gives you a sense of the size of the project, and that person is a full-sized man, not like me, who is perhaps a little vertically challenged. In addition to my own role as being responsible for the so-called diagnostic operations, the measurement instrumentation on that machine, I'm also working on a smaller experiment called the uh, lithium tokamak experiment, where then, of course, time doesn't permit any detail in what exactly being done, But to suffice to say that there are many applications to lithium, if you do a Google search, you can learn about lithium for batteries, lithium compounds for those who are manic depressive, and as a reactor component, uh, something that we're investigating for uh, future applications of this kind. And it's a smaller device, I work with another principal investigator and uh, about a half dozen graduate students, uh, one of whom is uh, peaking through the machine in the back, so that gives you an idea of the small-scale experiment we're doing testing. And I should mention that this person, uh, Laura Burzak, is uh, with luck going to defend her thesis in a couple of weeks and actually coming down to Washington to be an APS Congressional Fellow. And so this is kind of, in a way, in keeping with the theme of this conference and uh, responsibility and involvement in policy. So now to get to the meat, as it were, of the presentation, let me at least throw out a few ideas which may be a little bit provocative. That is, that many Christians have simple views of work environments. There are many work environments, but allow me to indulge in what I think might be a stereotype of a couple of them. You have the stereotype of Christian colleges and universities, places where it's easy to be a believer, and at any time, if you see something that you don't agree with, you're quite welcome to groan. (laughs) It's places where it's easy to be a believer, the professional and spiritual are readily integrated as you fellowship with believers. So that's one stereotype. Then there's a stereotype of the kinds of institutions where I am, the secular institutions, and that includes industrial and government laboratories as well as colleges and universities. And these are places where hostility to faith is encountered at every turn. And it takes great courage needed to claim belief in God, let alone a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. So here are a couple of hypotheticals and scientists. Let's have a couple of uh, propositions. I'm glad people are reacting and smiling at this. Now, the thing is, as I also don't have to tell you, the reality is not so straightforward. Now, one of the things that I've been doing a lot of thinking about it is that there actually might be more similarities in Christian and secular institutions than might be expected at first blush. Now, here is a provocative part of this, that both environments can create challenges for believers in the following sense. The pressure to succeed could be the greatest challenge to life of faith in either venue. Now, let's look at them. what I mean by that, the requirements for success. Now, a little bit of background here, the U.S. Higher education system is still the envy of the world. You hear a lot about U.S. competitiveness being on the decline, but you still have large number of students who want to come to the United States to study from around the world. Now, to encapsulate some of the reasons for this, the post-World War II policies, we talk about policies here in Washington, and funding initiatives by the U.S. government has greatly expanded the number of colleges and universities doing top flight research. And that's a good thing but the result has been a widening of culture that focuses on research even at small institutions. And I would include, parenthetically, in uh, italicized font, and I would dare say that that includes Christian colleges and universities that are traditionally more modest in size than, than a secular uh, component, and even to this day, admittedly, have a great focus on teaching, but research is still a component that's expected of people in these institutions. Now, <clears throat> competitiveness for success in academia in general appears to be growing without bound. Now, uh, there's uh, James Watson, uh, when he received tenure at Harvard, was purported to only have eight papers in his bibliography when he received tenure at Harvard. And you could read ahead a half century ago. Of course, one of them had this modest title, you know, something about the structure of a certain interesting molecule. But then the interesting thing is that you also look on the web and you see what kinds of expectations are ballooned. And I just took a look recently, and I'll leave the major research institution unnamed. But there was something like 50 publications or something like that that were expected uh, in the bibliography or typical for a full professorship at a major research institution. And so what does it take to make it these days there's an old friend of mine, a fellow who's a retired professor, who's part of a, uh, if you will, a sister organization or another organization that's devoted to academia, uh, faculty commons of Campus Crusade for Christ. And he's right on the money in a presentation that he has given on many occasions where then he says in a provocative presentation how to make tenure to publish, publish, publish in the right journals and this is the kind of provocative statement he makes there. Focus on research and not on people areas. Teaching, service to institutions, etc. And again, he's talking about these major research institutions, but I think there are unfortunately common elements to this, again, across academic disciplines and institutions. And this, again, applies to many Christian institutions, I'm afraid, as well as secular institutions. Now, what happens there? Let's look at some common challenges. Now, what kind of people succeed? Now, uh, this is another place where people can smile. Introverts who are able to focus. Now, who else would spend their best years in a library basement or in a windowless laboratory? Let's get real. All right. Now, this is another thing that people have to realize. We should not confuse introversion with the inability to speak on topic in front of large audiences. And I appreciate my wife, and I'm really wonderful, and I think it's really wonderful how providentially God brings the right people into your life uh, for the tough love approach to make me more socially aware. And I have to admit, uh, I was the president of an university Christian Fellowship chapter, at a large secular institution. And later on, their, uh, my friends, my friends told her how much more comprehensible she'd made me become. Uh, there were little anecdotes about saying, yeah, we knew that Bob's heart was in the right place, but when he led some of those Bible studies, the words were getting longer and longer and longer. And we, when we dared ask for clarification, <coughs> the arguments appeared to get more focused, but became more obscure. But thank you very much for making Bob more comprehensible. Now, Christians in science and engineering may be more similar to non-believing colleagues in that sense than fellow believers in general. And so that's something that, uh, that, that we should keep in mind. Now, given that raw material, that DNA, if you will, of what we are, there is a problem that I'm suggesting, which is that the system hones introversion and focus to perfection. So there's a common sequence here. For those of you who've gone through the academic rigmarole, and there are prelims, we call them uh, afterwards generals. There's a the thesis, there's the final public oral examination, you're getting a postdoc, tenure track position, or a position of a similar nature in an industrial laboratory and then you make it, but then you ask the question, then what? Fine, you're focused, you're able to follow the sequence, you're rewarded at every time, but then what? Now we're talking at the outset about then, perhaps the practical advice of uh, not necessarily focusing on people areas, but not focusing on professional people areas And a quest for tenure often translates into the same mentality in the non-professional areas. Deferring family, church, fellowship with Christian colleagues, etc., to when you have time leads to the reflexes, the reflexive, "I'm too busy" response. And so and this is from my own experience even meeting with colleagues becomes an occasion where you have to have an agenda. It gets to be a little strange when I'm meeting with Christian colleagues, and they go ahead and say, "All right, Bob, what would you like to talk about?" How about, well, let's just meet for lunch? You know, that kind of thing, which is a problem. And some now this is the thing. Now, succumbing to such mindsets can occur in the Christian as well as in secular institutions. So now, let's look at common solutions to these kinds of challenges. What I would say, then, is that the first and perhaps most obvious thing is to develop these spiritual disciplines early. Now here is uh, where I can take advantage of who I am. There is this H word, humility. Um, I think that uh, in one sense, although I was uh, raised in the United States, and as some of you may know, I've been in the United States for several generations, there is still, shall we say, the residual Asian uh, milieu the Asian household with relatives whose accomplishments you could not possibly match. And so, you know, for better or for worse, well, that's who I am, and I thank God for that being a part of the upbringing that I have. Not that in a malicious way, but hey, this helps. But more to the point, I think that we can see in a more general sense among believers that we can still benefit from something that we see in the ASA journal, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, the ext- <clears throat> so in that form, point of view, given that as a context, the acceptance of intelligence and ability to study as gifts from God then helps those spiritual disciplines to follow. So you start out with a humility, recognizing where it comes, which is then to the what I call the getting your uh, ticket stamped at the right place mentality. But rather than saying what enables you to get those tickets stamped at the right place, this is then should be the place where we start. Now here's some, uh, you could read on, there's some Christian common sense examples. You worship regularly, never become too busy to remember the Sabbath. And tithe, even when you make so little, as I remember doing on my assistantship, that the tax really isn't needed. But you know, for those of you who suffer through the, state, the condition of being a broke student, that's just something to keep in mind as a spiritual discipline and to meet then regularly for fellowship, ideally with others in your department or group. And this is easy to neglect as pressure amounts in any environment, Christian or non-Christian. The same kinds of things in your mindset can appear in those milieus. Now here's something else in terms of then principles in how to deal with the challenges themselves, common mistake to avoid. There is this idea of saying, to have what we call a cycle of activity driven by guilt, going whole hog, and then backing out. In some Christian activity, you go ahead and you do it, and then you drop out when the schedule gets rough. It readily lends itself to developing when I have the time again mentality that hinders then that re engagement. Now, here again, don't have. Uh, my intention wasn't to go into a lot of detail because you could talk about any of these topics at length, but this whole area of discipline, the discipline to finish the race as being part uh, and parcel of what it means to be a Christian as a marathon runner and not a wind sprinter. That is the message and the sense that I get when I read passages in Scripture about completing the course and running the race. Now, How do we go about, then, changing behavior through the humility and discipline? I think that, then, another general guiding principle is to internalize the lessons in uh, Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others, including students, uh, better than yourselves. And uh, here's something that uh, I've done from time to time, and I've talked especially to younger colleagues, and students about an exercise that you can try. Consider writing your own obituary, if this isn't too difficult or too morbid for some people's taste. And it should be a uh, wake-up call if it sounds too generic for a distinguished academic. Now here, this is not meant to be a sign of arrogance, but I'm at an institution where there are something like three dozen past and present Nobel laureates. This is not then to underestimate or in any way denigrate the accomplishment that being a Nobel laureate is. But then, um, when you are in an institution where there are, in quotes, so many, and here again, I hope uh, this is taken in the right way, my wife is kidding me, after going to a party for one of the most recent Nobel laureates, uh, she says, "Okay, Bob, when are you going to get yours?" You know, it just is a kind of a, a throwaway comment. But you're in that. But it's symptomatic of this kind of idea that no matter how you think you're going to become distinguished, think of what really counts in your accomplishments. And then, to when you look at all of this, the hope is that you won't get too discouraged or depressed. But then go back to reality and see some of the implications of that reality begin to change modestly. The act could be as simple as checking up on a colleague that you haven't seen recently. And here again, I'm talking again from my own experience, the bar is frankly pretty low, as simple expressions of kindness can really stand out in certain environments. And this again could apply to the Christian as well as non-Christian environment. Now then, another part in dealing with the environment you find in, is an importance of community in any institution. And this is why what we try to do in our place is to have these monthly gatherings as examples of how to avoid going it alone. Now, this is just a few details about the nature of why you don't have to go to great lengths to be able to do this, but uh, we send an email to about a half dozen recipients. Uh, Kamesh has been a part of this when he was a student at our place. And it includes postdocs, grad students, as well as I'm constantly searching for euphemisms, mature colleagues. And uh, members are added by word of mouth invitations. We have an informal agenda. Everybody needs to eat, or in some high power institutions, eating regularly puts you ahead of the curve. Uh, we have a short discussion on a topic of interest to the group, and with a brief time of prayer. And attendance varies from month to month because there are pressures. Uh, Rites of passage from qualifying exams to thesis defense uh, to trips that we have to take. But the most important thing is that Christians become aware of each other for encouragement and leavening beyond the meetings. And the regularity of participation depends first and foremost on the mindset of the individuals. And believers in all institutions can struggle with the appropriate mindset. Now finally, let me uh, conclude these general remarks with some personal notes. I was raised in a Christian home with parents who believed in the importance of the life of the mind. They encouraged the study of what is generally called the Book of Nature through telescopes and magnifying glasses. They also encouraged a family study of the Book of Scripture in family devotions that I keep up in my own family with with my own wife and children. Now here's the interesting thing. In that milieu, I had this interest of going into the ministry. And uh, they actually discouraged that interest when I was in high school. Now there's another stereotype where then, if you have a son in a Christian home, Evangelical Christian home, that son says, "Uh, I want to become a minister. There's one uh, one stereotype reaction that says, oh great, go right ahead. We're gonna encourage you uh, 100% of the way Go serve the Lord in that highest of callings. But no, uh, they told me that I could serve God in any profession. Or that's why there's this uh, comment, to boldly go where no clergy has gone before. (laughs) I'm of that generation and I'm old enough to remember the first Star Trek when it first came out. And uh, the past experiences in, for example, in Russia, the former Soviet Union, in China, where I've gone and had experiences have been described in an article that uh, was written, uh, you know, some years ago. I have uh, copies that I brought along, if you'd like them, but you could also look it up on the website. This presentation will be posted, uh, called "Opportunities and Obstacles: op- Obstacles and Opportunities in Science for the Christian Witness," written uh, some time ago. And uh, then I just uh, returned, and I think I'm finally over my jet lag but uh, just a couple of weeks ago I was in Bangkok giving a talk on can a scientist believe in God to a lively audience of 75 and an Asian, at the Asian Institute of Technology in Bangkok where then the questions ranged all over the map from uh, what is the uniqueness of Christianity, why do you really believe in God, to the real kicker uh, from the Christians in the audience, how do you raise a Christian family? And there I have to then say that uh, in addition to the kinds of things that I described, my daughter, who was in college, was in the audience, and one of the things I mentioned was that the questions she's asked me were far more difficult than anything you've asked so far <laughs> in this audience uh, about, say, the, the, the finer points of my own faith and why I believe. And so this kind of spirit of openness is very important. So such opportunities can arise for Christians in science in any institution. And again, going back to the previous point that I said, is that in a way, because of the fact, that then if there's not exactly a leveling, there's a broadening, which I think is very good, of the scientific community in institutions of all kinds, that then should you be given the opportunity as a scientist, wherever you're from, that you can go ahead and take advantage of them uh, to the greater glory of God if you have the proper mindset. So then finally, in these... uh, brief uh, formal remarks, to then seek the Lord's guidance daily in prayer and time in the world is how you face the challenges of wherever God has placed you. Now, what I would hope is that then the specific examples that you might want to talk about, either to ask myself or Kamesh or even amongst each other, is something I would defer to that kind of open discussion, but I could, because I couldn't possibly encapsulate or summarize all the specific challenges themselves but rather these remarks are to set up then, if you will, the framework that you need to address these specific challenges that each of you face. And in doing so, I'd like to then think about the the points that all of you think about the points that I'm making, that I still struggle with the consequences of nature that brings uh, professional success, but also could lead to the private dysfunction. And here again, I cite from my family experience, I appreciate my wife who volunteered me several years ago for vacation Bible schools because I didn't have a real job." Uh, see the thing is that one has, in where I am, a great amount of flexibility in my schedule. And uh, my wife uh, knows how in a good way to put me in my place because she says, you don't have a job. What you don't do is to get up at the crack of dawn. We live in uh, suburban New Jersey. like husbands with real jobs do, put on their coats and ties and catch the train to commute into New York City and back. No, what you do is you just go and play, and this is what you do, and this is before we had children, and says, I think that you'd be uh, just a wonderful vacation Bible school teacher because you know what to do. And so uh, this is a consequence of uh, the meeting, uh, as a consequence of a meeting that she had, with other ladies who said we have to get men involved, and of course, all their husbands had real jobs, said, well, Bob doesn't, so go for it. Now, after doing that, see, these young students had no idea how internationally famous their teacher was. They didn't recognize all the publications that nobody could understand, uh, that I had written in my profession, all my uh, accolades and honors, and my uh, role in a distinguished research university, Uh, no, they just wanted to make sure that I wasn't boring. And if you have a bunch of uh, children in vacation Bible school, they will tell you in no uncertain terms whether or not you're boring. And they don't have the courtesy of falling asleep if you drone on and on and on. And that was very, very humbling. And it was a good reminder of the kind of servant I should be. So then the comfort you might derive in making it might really be spiritual numbness. And this is something I think a lot about because, as I've shared with some of you before in this meeting, uh, there have been students who asked me, Christian students said, Bob, you've made it. Now can you tell me how? What is the formula? And so then I have to give them the kind of advice that I've uh, given in this talk here. The spirit is willing, the, uh, the body is weak, is something I think a lot about. And this personal unease that I have this recognition that, no, the goal of the Christian is not to make it, but instead to humbly seek God and depend on Him on a daily, regular basis is the basis for the true contentment, not making it, but true contentment that only He can provide. So with that, those are my uh, formal remarks. What I'd like to do is to uh, invite Kamesh to uh, just offer a few thoughts, and then we'll just open it up to uh, to uh, to a discussion here. Hey.
0: You know, at first sight, uh, there are a lot of differences between Bob and myself, apart from our age and appearance. Thank you. (laughs) Bob is a well-known scientist in a well-known secular institution, and I'm a not-so-well-known scientist in a not-so-well-known Christian institution. Yet, as Bob mentioned, there are a lot of similarities and challenges that we face in what it means to live as a Christian in our respective places of work. Some of our challenges, for all of us, I think fall into one big question. What does it mean to evaluate that? Keeping in mind these questions, Who is God? Who am I? In the way that God created me and has redeemed me, and what it means for me to live out this redeemed life in the place that God has put me. What does it mean to have a Biblical View of my work. This is something that I have to struggle with quite often because quite often I fall into one extreme or another, and which it is, one temptation is to view my work as nothing more than mere drudgery, something to make ends meet, so that I can get a paycheck, so that I can use that to go to good things of life, that may be ministry or non-ministry, whatever. The work is merely a drudgery in order to make ends meet. The other extreme is to idolize work, and it is to have a temptation to get your ultimate satisfaction from your work. That is nothing but idolatry. We all know that only the Lord can give that kind of satisfaction. And how not to fall into the wayside of either of those two temptations—that is, either not to view it merely as means to an end, or to make an idol out of it. That is some of the challenges that is the same, I think, whether it's year or not uh place like uh, Princeton or in a small Christian institution. And some of the other challenges that Bob mentioned about what it means to not be so consumed by the necessity to go through all the checklists, what, what does it take to make it in your respective places of work. Those things are true regardless of what type of an institution you're in. One of the things that Bob talked about is that uh, the expectations for, for instance, if I go through a conventional academic track, Again, please pardon us if you're using academia as the illustration for this. I'm sure you can relate to whatever we talk about into academia, industry or any other place of business. We all have, we know when we get into a place of work, we know the checklist of what it takes to make to a certain place of security in our places of work. And those pressures of what it takes to make it don't necessarily change, whether you're doing secular work or Christian work. And what does it mean to be humble in a situation where those pressures of making it force you into a certain type of mindset? What does it mean to prioritize your life and structure your life of making appropriate choices. What does it mean to not let the lesser good swamp out the greater good for what God is calling you to? Though some of those details may vary in our lives, depending upon what our circumstances are. In my case, I have to think about, I routinely get called into various things in administration and meetings and paperwork, and some of it may be as well. For me, I find that that's for me, that is not the greater good. For me I find myself being much better in teaching and mentoring students. And so for me, even though there's a need for someone to go into administration and doing all the paperwork, I have to be deliberate in making the choices so that I don't get called into things that I don't feel like that's in my greater good, the greater good of what God is calling me to, and try to figure out how to structure my life so as to prioritize that. And it's also very tempting in whatever uh, situation that you're working in that making it become the goal in itself, whereas I don't think God is simply calling us to shoot for a short timeline if it's in the the business of making 10 years, maybe it's 7 years, maybe in some other institution, the deadline may be some other time frame. That really is not our end goal. Scripture calls us to Run the race well? I and mean, what, what does it mean to run the race having an eschatological time scale? And what it means for me to mentally prepare myself as to run the race and finish well? What, it, what does it take for me to have a proper rhythm of prayer and work? My inward journey towards God and my outward journey for God. What does it mean to have that rhythm so that I can run the race well? in whatever place God has called me to. Some of those challenges are, are the same, whether we are in a Christian workplace or a non-Christian workplace, regardless of the, the nature of work. What it means to have humility. In other words, what does it mean to have a right perspective of where i fit in in God's economy? And by the way, by humility, I don't mean having a too low view of yourself either, because that's not right either. What does it mean to have the right perspective of what God is calling me to not to have a too high a view of myself, not to have too low a view of myself. Those are some of the things that uh, I had to struggle with when I was a junior member of the faculty just starting out. Not to have too high a view of myself, seeing the the need for me, the necessity of other people around me so that I can live the life that I need to live, whether in terms of practical help in our work, or in terms of accountability,
1: or not to have too
0: low a view of myself, because one of the temptations for those of you in academia, or those of you who plan to go into academia, is just wait till you get tenure to do what you really want to do. That I don't think is a Christian view, and that also I think is having a too low an esteem of who you are in God's economy. You have to have a certain level of security that God has put you where you are, so that. You're not merely looking at this as a game to play so that you can make it. So, some of these uh, are questions that I think are similar to whatever place of work we are in, sacred or secular, Christian or non Christian. One of the things that, as we go into uh, these breakout sessions, we're going to have a short break and then we're going to reconvene in breakout sessions. I think Bob can uh, uh, mm-hmm. give you some instructions on that. I hope we can address some of these questions.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. So, what we're going to try to do is now to set the stage for this further discussion. If there are any questions based on what we both presented that we can uh, talk about a little bit to the general audience. We'll chat about this for a while. And then for those who uh, would like to continue the discussion, what we're gonna try to do is, as I had mentioned at the outset, kind of rearrange the room a little bit to then have what I would hope would be uh, a useful dialogue, a conversation with some of the, the folks around you to t- talk through some of these issues in a way that I hope would be helpful. So for right now, uh, if anybody has any general questions, uh, we could go ahead and start. Yeah. mm Yeah, and I think that's a good point. And let me just uh, comment, rather than uh, Kamesh could comment as well. <clears throat> I think we're working on the presupposition that, in fact, we're here because we have that passion, that we're doing it in the first place. And I'm glad you mentioned Charit Fire because I've also mentioned some of this to some of the other uh, people in the audience. A lot of people aren't aware that Eric Little had three passions in life, God, sports, and science. That what he did was that he graduated with firsts from the University of Edinburgh not a sloth-off institution. He had a degree in chemistry, you know, James Clark Maxwell. I mean, this is a first-rate institution. And people don't realize that his passion was really science as well as sports. So in China, he was so passionate about it that when they were in the internment camp, as part of the process of encouraging students, because it's very important to survive in this kind of stressful environment, to have hope in all senses of the word, to look forward as opposed to give up The people in the camps agreed that Eric Little should uh, train the students for their entrance examinations. And in a very moving biography, I remember reading some years ago, he took scraps of paper and wrote out all the apparatus and went through, if you will, thought experiments. How do you use these uh, apparatus to do the chemistry experiments so that when when they came out of the camps, these high school students survived they took their exams, and many of them said it was as if we had them and we used them, as in a high school laboratory, to prepare for these examinations. So that's passion right across the board, and so you know that's the one thing that we uh, and that really echoes what you're saying.
0: And, uh, one second.
2: and thank you for
0: that uh, observation. I wholeheartedly uh, concur. Because some of the pressures that drive us are not just external pressures imposed on by uh, tenure or whatever uh, it takes to make it in your place of work, but they're also internal pressures that cause us to live us choose a certain kind of lifestyle that we have, we have chosen. But there also lies a challenge. Even with that kind of internal pressure, we have to subject that to God in the sense that uh, what is the ultimate motivation for our internal, even that internal pleasure? Is it our own glory or is it the glory of the one who has called us? And uh, so some of those challenges exist, whether the pressures are internal or whether the pressures are external. So thank you for bringing that up.
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I think those are those are excellent points, and I think that uh, one of the things. That, so there are two comments that I would make about that. I think we can uh, broaden our horizons and take advantage of the fact that, for example, right now in the, again in the U.S. system of funding research, what happens is that in our grant applications we are expected to talk about the educational component of it, and in fact, uh, large national laboratories. Uh, institutions funded by the Department of Energy have then a requirement that they devote a certain part of their funds to science education, for example. So what we can do is that we can look around and not only do we have to have, let's say, a voice crying in the wilderness, but also look around and see where there are oases, if you will, to push this analogy, to then go ahead and link into that. The flip side of it, though, is that also, too, and this is a challenge I present to uh, you know, colleagues like Kamesh, is that if then in Christian institutions there is too much of a sense of we must be smaller scale clones of these big research institutions, there's as much of a responsibility in the Christian institutions to then say, well, let's make sure that we retain our interest in our true loves. And so there's a kind of responsibility on both sides, and I'm glad you made that point.
0: Thank you, Bob, and thank you for that question, because the call to be, uh, have this prophetic voice applies to both ends of the spectrum, while on one end of the spectrum we could completely neglect our responsibility to educate and inspire and train the next generation. It is also important to see that uh, what is the role that God has given any particular institution instead of us merely being clones of one another, one on a large scale and one on a small scale, Are there distinctives? Are there distinctive roles that different organizations can play? That we together, as society, can do what we are supposed to do, namely to educate and inspire and equip the next generation for God's service. And uh, that is uh, not something that uh, we can pull back off. I suppose that's part of the part of conference on public science and public policy is that people of faith, Christians, are called to engage in uh, in this larger conversation. So. I'm glad you raised that question. You sure. Right.
1: Senior. Oh, that's another good one. Thank you. We'll add that. Yeah, and and this is something that's a broader conversation that involves the medical profession. I think there are a lot of communities that are having this kind of conversation, which I think are very important. I think that uh, one of the things then, uh, that you can keep in mind is that that's why an organization like this exists. Uh, you know, it's not exactly a hops, given a jump, say, between where I am and where you are. But you know, just the fact that then when I, I saw you again after not seeing you for a year, I said, oh, my goodness, I should get in touch with you, You know, that kind of thing. And so you know, one of the things that I have a very rich relationship with is... Uh, a, a, a professor at uh, the College of New Jersey, which is a little bit closer. And she was feeling kind of isolated there, but uh, through just mutual friends, she found out about me. And um, it's the subject of a whole separate talk that maybe I could you know converse with you uh, uh, maybe a little bit later about. But suffice to then say that she's one of those wonderful people that then takes it upon herself to do things like, um, she's a lovely woman, but uh, shall we say, uh, very direct. And she says, Bob, I think it's a real good idea for you to come down and give a talk about your faith at my institution. There aren't too many Christians here, and so I think it's a good idea for you to do that. <laughs> I'm not suggesting, I mean, because we have to, as we say in our profession, normalize <laughs> for everybody's personalities. But there are many models out there, and that's one of them.
0: In my, partic- in my particular case, yes, the stereotype is very true. I'm in a small institution. There are about 160, 170 members of the faculty in 18 departments. And I have had uh, dinner with at least one member of the faculty from every department. And I'm in a small group with two separate small groups with uh, five different faculty members each. But that's me. That's not true of all the other members of the faculty because it has something to do with uh, my personality as well. When I was doing my PhD, I was in a fellowship group with uh, Bob and then two other campus ministries and one other small group that I used to lead. So so I'm a personality anomaly in the sciences, so some people wonder how I got my PhD and where I I did. But, uh, yes, in general, there are significant differences in the opportunities for Christian fellowship in different types of institutions, but I suppose... uh, uh, you, you know, that shouldn't stop us. We can try to be a little more creative, as uh, Bob was talking about, it, in trying to find uh, such opportunities. And uh, someone like Bob has been very good at uh, creating those opportunities. And uh, it, it'll be nice if uh, individuals can step up and look for some opportunities for some creative fellowship. Oh,
2: yes. (laughs) No, no, that's not a problem. (laughs)
1: Oh, no, I, I think that that's absolutely right, because you see, it's not the challenge in the traditional sense, and I've shared also this with uh, people here and, and people in the past in other milieus, where then the idea is that you almost wish sometimes that then people would just get in your face and say, Bob, why do you believe in God? But rather, it's the, oh, oh, hum, I've never thought about it, and this is a direct quote along the lines of exactly what you said. That's fine for you, Bob. My God is physics. Those were the exact words. uh, And, and, you know, we continue to have a collegial relationship because, uh, you know, we do stuff together. I mean, stuff meaning exactly what you say within that community. But sometimes I think that kind of subtle challenge is harder to deal with than one where you are talking about this, that this person really cares. And that's something that, that I think you're right on the mark in saying that that kind of thing is sometimes the hardest to deal with. And so, you know, you just have to keep on doing it. And just as a quick aside, though. Sometimes you might think that then, oh, it's hopeless, but at least you've identified yourself. So then I've had uh, then other examples where then people have, n- not to sound too spiritual about this, but Nicodemus-like privately come to my office when something happens and says, I need to talk to somebody about this. So your self-identification, even when you think they don't care, is still very
0: important. That, of course, falls into the bigger question of what is the responsibility of Christians to engage with the culture that's around them? Do you uh, you know, self-segregate yourself away and uh, withdraw yourself from a culture and create your own subculture? Or do you integrate yourself with the culture to, the, to that extent that you're, in some sense, indistinguishable from the culture around you? Or within that spectrum, where do you fall in? And... Uh, that's, uh, you know, what you both brought out was a clear example of uh, one way in which uh, uh, Christians fall on one end of the spectrum. And, uh, you know, what does it mean for us to be the hands and feet of Christ in the culture that God has put us in is, is a challenge. Uh, it's a uh, pertinent example of the larger question.
1: Okay, so So the question is, you know, what about the people who are in an industrial setting? I think uh, what happens is that the same kinds of uh, pressures of trying to acculturate yourself, uh, the standards for competition, they're there. Uh, But then on the other hand, uh, what happens is that if you have, should you have this mindset, that the kinds of fellowships and whatever are just for Uh, people who are in the academic milieu, Uh, my wife, who spent many years at Bell Labs. Some people might say that's academic or even more crazy than academic. Uh, uh, There was a weekly Bible study at that institution. You know, friends of mine who have been in government have then met with like-mind. The critical thing here is the appropriate mindset. That's what Kamesh was talking about, to be able to go ahead and live your life in the milieu you find yourself, as opposed to relying too much or, frankly, using as an excuse the particular environment you're in. Okay. What I'd like to do right now, if there are no further questions, is that then, for those who would like to, you know, to continue the discussion, we're going to take a break. for, for a few minutes. We're going to do a little bit of a rearranging of things. And so for those of you who would like to, you know, to continue the discussion, we welcome you to continue this. This is the, the cafe part of things, where then I would hope that this might be an opportunity for, for interacting and conversing. I know that this is one of the things that I know that some people just wanted to have a little bit more time to do. So you're welcome to stay for that. If you'd like to go to another session, that's fine. But we're going to take a break for about five minutes or so to rearrange things, and you're welcome to, to continue this discussion. Thank you. Uh, before you go, if anybody wants a copy of this uh, article that I was talking about, I'll leave it in the
0: chair We have to. We're
2: gonna switch out the, the speakers. Okay. 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 We're done. Huh? Yeah, we can. Um, yeah, it should be fine.